Finding it hard to get alone with God each day? Pastor Ed Ray suggests first thing in the morning. How important it is to spend time with Him. If I don't do it in my own life, first thing in the morning, it doesn't happen. But if I get up early before anyone else is up and I read a little bit of Scripture and pray a little bit, then the rest of the day works out fine. But if I miss that section, then chaos rules. The tyranny of the urgent comes rushing in. So she encourages her sister to go spend some time with Jesus, which is a great thing to do. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. If you were to die today, would you be ready? And do you know where you're going? You know, many in our world today would answer in the negative. Today on Grow in Grace, we're encouraged by the truths contained in John 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus has just died, and the Lord is just about to go to the funeral service and not only bring comfort, but also perform an unforgettable miracle. And as he does, he teaches us something important about his heart and life after death. There's Pastor Ed Ray. Working our way through the New Testament, John chapter 11, verse 25, fantastic area of scripture. Jesus is talking to Martha, one of two sisters who had a brother, Lazarus, that died. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep again. Then when Mary had come where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, how? See how he loved them. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again groaned in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, 
for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you'll always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for this historic event that you have recorded for us that we might believe, that we might have faith. We might see that you are the God of the living. Speak to us now. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. So we are looking at, we have come to the story of Lazarus, who was resurrected from the dead. It's a fantastic set of verses. The subject is a little strange, death. But it's a story that's meant to give us hope. It reminds me of the story of the guy who was really stingy all his life, married to the same woman for a long time. And uh, he saved up. And he saved up $50,000. And when he knew he was dying, he called his wife and he said, Sweetheart, I want you to take the $50,000 that I've saved and put it in the casket with me. I want to take it with me. And she said, okay, honey. So he died. And at the funeral, she took a little box and walked up quietly and stuck it in the casket and then came back and sat down next to her best friend. Her friend said, you didn't do that, did you? She said, well, I had to. I promised him I would. You put $50,000 in the casket with him? She said, well, I wrote a check. Be careful when you marry a Christian, you know. They got a different view of things. (laughs) So resurrection, that's the subject here. It's the seventh miracle in the Gospel of John. You remember when we started this, I read to you the reason that John wrote his Gospel. He wrote it down in chapter 20. He said, I write these miracles. I could have written many more. But if I tried to write all the miracles that Jesus did, all the books in all the world couldn't contain them. So I chose these seven so that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah, the creator, and that believing in him, you might have eternal life. It's the only one of the 66 books in the Bible that gives us the reason it was written so that you and I can read it, these miracles, and say only God could do that. We started in chapter two. Jesus was at a wedding feast, you'll remember, in Canaan, and they ran out of wine. And his mother said they need help, and Jesus said, fill the water jars with water to the top. 
and then takes them out and give it to the chief steward. The guy tastes it. He says, this is the best wine I ever had. Amazing. Jesus never got close to the jars. He's across the room, and he turns an inorganic liquid, water, into an organic one with carbon, wine, and wine is a very complex liquid. It has 450 different tannins and acids and constituents in it that bacteria and yeast turn the glucose into alcohol. Well, it takes six months, even cheap wine. Jesus did it in an instant from across the room, and he added vintage. What? He added time, because that's what it takes to turn grape juice into wine. God with control over time and space and matter. That's the point. Now, they didn't know all those technical terms. They don't know about the fourth dimension, etc. But they could see, and for 2,000 years, people have read these miracles and went, only God could do that. Second one was in chapter 4. A royal man, a, a nobleman came whose son had a fever, an infant who was dying. And he's 15 miles away. Jesus is in Cana, and this nobleman came all the way up from Capernaum down on the lake. And he said, my son is dying. I need you to come to my house. He said, go your way. Your son is healed. I looked at him, rode off, and he met by his servants. His servants told him what time the boy had gotten well, and it was the time that Jesus had said that. Jesus diagnosed a sick baby 15 miles away and then enacted the baby's immune system antibodies against whatever virus or bacteria he had, whether it was smallpox or what else in those days, because they didn't have vaccines for anything, tetanus, malaria, any of it. And Jesus supercharged the kid's immune system from 15 miles away. Only God can do that. We can't do it today with modern medicine. Chapter 5, Jesus walked by a man by a pool who'd been laying there for 38 years every day. His friends would bring him, and he's laying on a stretcher. And Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. 38 years without moving a muscle, without your nerves ever flashing, without your joints ever moving. And he was able to stand up and balance and walk away. Only God could do that. No physical therapy or anything like that. In the sixth chapter, there's two miracles. The first one is they got 5,000 people, you remember, by the lake. 5,000 men. Don't know how many women and children were involved, too. But a kid shows up with five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus breaks it, passes it out, and he feeds all 5,000 men plus women and children. 10,000, 12,000 people. How do you do that? And then that wasn't a big enough miracle. He sends the disciples off in a boat. They go off across the Sea of Galilee. Storm comes up, waves everywhere. Jesus walks on water out to the boat. And then in chapter 9, we saw a couple of weeks ago, there was a man blind from birth, a beggar in the city of Jerusalem. He'd never seen in his life. And Jesus did something strange, rubbed mud in his eyes he'd made with his own spittle. 
and he puts it in his eyes to go wash in the pool. The guy washes in the pool, and he can see. Now, the miracle is more amazing because not only did his eyes now focus, but he knew what he was looking at because Jesus had created the index that you and I create when we're crawling as little babies. We learn depth perception and color and all those things integrated together with sounds. Jesus heals him, makes his eyes work, and puts a table of contents in his brain so he knows what he's looking at. That's the most supposed to make us all go, that's got to be God. And that's the point of these signs, these miracles. And we pray you will believe as well. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, and we're just about at the midway point of our study today based on John 11. We're at the seventh one, and the seventh one is a humdinger. <laughs> now, the story began, we looked at the first part of it last week, two sisters who had a brother named Lazarus, Mary and Martha. They're as different as salt and pepper, as polar opposites, positive and negative on a battery. Mary is a very devotional kind of gal, quiet, and Martha is a doer. She's a pragmatist. She's up making chicken soup and complaining that nobody's helping her, all that sort of stuff. So the two of them had a brother who got sick, Lazarus, and Jesus usually stayed in their home when he was there in Jerusalem. They lived right at the edge of town in then a, a little town called Bethany. And so Lazarus began to worsen. And so the sisters sent evidently a young man down to where Jesus was 30 miles away at the Jordan River. And it's downhill. And the guy gets there and it says, because Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he waited two days. What? And his disciples said, well, he's sick, Lord, and shouldn't we go do something? And so Jesus, after two days, says, okay, we're going to Jerusalem. They go, whoa, wait a minute, Jerusalem, that's where they tried to kill you. So anyway, he comes up and he arrives outside of the little village of Bethany. And the two sisters don't invite him into the house. They're angry with him. They are giving God orders. If you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. Now, I know none of you would do that, but I have occasionally tried to tell God how to run the world. And you know, he's not taking my advice, as good as it is. In fact, I gave him some this morning and he wasn't impressed at all. Now, remember that John, who wrote this, is an eyewitness. He sees all these things and he's recording what he saw several decades later after the event. He's in his 90s when he writes this down. It's different than the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because this one is uniquely around these seven miracles. So this is the kum This is the master stroke. And last time we saw Martha going out to meet Jesus. That's where we broke into the story. They have this conversation, and she's telling Jesus he should have come, and uh, he's upset about it. Now, Jesus talks about life, and he talks about resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's the gospel summary. This whole gospel is about life, L-I-F-E, and it is recorded 36 times, that word. And the word believe, believe in, 98 times. So when the Holy Spirit mentions something 98 times, we might want to pay attention. 
Belief is very important here. This section breaks up into three parts. Death, 25 to 34, that's kind of a downer. That's a negative. And then the shortest verse in the English Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. And then life, 36 to 45. That's where we're going. Fasten your seatbelts. Verse 25, Jesus is having this discussion with Martha on the edge of town. He says, I am the resurrection. I'm the source of life. I'm the creator of DNA. We might say today they didn't understand that. But you have a genetic code made up of four base pairs, ribonucleic acid, and it's the same four chemicals that are out there on that lawn that makes the grass grow. The same as everybody in this room, although your genetic code is different than anyone else in here. So the creator of life is having this conversation and he said, I am resurrection and I am. Not like, not that I bring it, not that I borrow it, not that I do anything but create it from scratch. And whoever lives and believes, there's that word again, in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? By this time, she's figured it out. I do believe she's going to say, verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Christos, the, the word means the anointed one, or the Messiah, Meshuach in Hebrew, or the creator. I believe that you are the creator, God the Son, not just the Son of God, but God the Son, who has come into the world, who has prophesied that you would come a certain way at a certain time in a certain place in a little village called Bethlehem, etc., etc. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly went to her sister, who's still in the house, saying, the teacher has come and he's, and he's calling you. Now, she's being encouraged by her sister, Mary, to go spend time with Jesus. Can I do the same thing with you? How important it is to spend time with him? If I don't do it in my own life, first thing in the morning, it doesn't happen. But if I get up early before anyone else is up and I read a little bit of scripture and pray a little bit, then the rest of the day works out fine. But if I miss that section, then chaos rules. The tyranny of the urgent comes rushing in. So she encourages her sister to go spend some time with Jesus, which is a great thing to do. 30. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town because the sisters didn't invite him into the town. And he was in the place where Martha met him. The road up from the Jordan River, and they're not saying, come on in the house. They're saying, maybe you better stay out there. We're kind of upset with you. And they're telling God what to do. Then the Jews who were with her, in the house. Now, when we stopped earlier and I said, when John writes about Jews, he's not talking about a racial group. He's talking about the leadership of the Jewish faith. He's saying that these people who live in Jerusalem, in the area called Judea, these Sanhedrin, these rabbis, these teachers from the temple have come to Mary and Martha's house because they were a well-known group. Evidently, their family was well-known. So 
the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her. In the Middle East, they still have a, a moaning, a groaning, a weeping time with families. And they sing dirges, and they have flute players and drummers and professional wailers who cry because they thought, well, the more noise that's made, the more the person must have been loved. Still true to this day. So then, verse 32, when Mary left the house, came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we'll see next time in chapter 12, she is at the feet of Jesus, and she's going to worship him. Whenever you find Mary near Jesus, she's bowing down to him. And she says to him the same thing that Martha, her sister, had said. They have obviously been talking. They're wondering why Jesus didn't just heal Lazarus long distance like he did the nobleman's son. Hey, you were 30 miles away, but that should be no problem for you. You're God. So they have a limited way of thinking how God should work. And that's the problem when I give God advice. I really don't know all the options he has. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible for him. So she's down at his feet. At least she knew that she was in the presence of God. Therefore, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews, these rabbis, these teachers from the temple who had come with her, they were weeping and the word is wailing. They were hypocrites. They were doing it for money. He groaned in his spirit and was troubled. This is a very unusual word. It only appears three times in the New Testament. Embryaneome. And it's a Greek word that means, it's actually an equestrian term for horses. When horses snort, hmm. Now, that noise my grandmother used to make right before she applied the rod of learning to the seat of education. And she go, huh. You know, and you went, uh-oh. <laughs> now I've done it. I stepped over the line. So Jesus is upset because of the unbelief of the people. Even these two girls, these sisters who knew him, who had been with him when he'd done miracles. And he's upset because of the reality of the destruction that sin has brought into the world. This is not what God designed. He designed it for life, and Adam and Eve blew it. And he was sympathizing with these two sisters. So he says to them, Jews, their leadership next to them, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Now, Jesus didn't need the information. He wasn't saying, I don't know where he is. He knows exactly where Lazarus is, and he knows exactly what he's about to do. But he's trying to get them to say, we'll go with you, because he wants them to see what he's about to do. This miracle we're looking at is so spectacular that it changed the name of the geography for 2,000 years. To this day, if you go there, you'll see El Lazarium. And there, there's only one cave in town. And so we think this is the traditional place. The little Arab man is standing in front of the door. So Jesus is standing at that site. We're going through the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Ray here on Grow in Grace. And it's just a part of our Through the Bible study. If you'd like the CD, which contains the complete and uninterrupted message, 
Call us today at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We're thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to share His Word over the radio, and maybe this is a ministry you'd like to support. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you, and we'll say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers for well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attitude of God, from God's infinitude to his immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Just call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And if you wouldn't mind in the next day or two, send off an email to let us know you're listening and what you're getting out of the present series in John. It's encouraging to hear how God is at work through Grow in Grace. Let us know what the Lord is doing in your life when you email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us back here next time as we return to our study of the Gospel of John. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sit healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love.